Blog Talk Radio. Roger Hendel is in Atlanta. 
So before we get to uh, Tampa, Florida, and Roy Cummings, let's go to our executive producer, Frank Carroll, and what we got on the docket, Frank. Well, John, tonight we're going to dedicate this show to two gentlemen whose lives crossed their paths and my path many, many times. Uh, both of them served. Uh, one served in the United States Air Force, was, was a fighter pilot in uh, uh, Vietnam. The other one was, was a uh, commander in the Navy, but also in Vietnam. Unfortunately, both have been affected by Agent Orange um, and now have Parkinson's Parkinson. So between their, their military career and today, they served for 37 years at the Sarasota mm-hmm. Sheriff's Office as majors. And uh, that would be uh, Daryl Stinger, who's a colonel in the United States Armed Forces, uh, Air Force, as well as a major in the uh, Sarasota Sheriff's Office, ran the uh, criminal uh, division for many years, and then went over to court services. And then there was Bill Fleeman, Major Bill Fleeman. Uh, Bill was a commander in the Navy, uh, served very well. He served his country. He served the the, uh, Sheriff's Department at 34 years uh, in Sarasota County. Uh, Bill retired as uh, commander of uh, the patrol division. Uh, And unfortunately, both these guys are wheelchair-bound now. We send uh, our very best wishes out to them. A very big thank you for everything you did for this country, and especially for those who forgot to vote yesterday. You fought very hard. You let them let them do that. Some people just forget about it. Thank you very much, Amen. Frank. And before any delay, let's get down to Tampa, Florida, and Roy Cummings, who covered the Lightning from day one when they first got into the National Hockey League. But I don't think he's ever seen a 382nd period like we saw in the last game of the playoffs, just a little bit better than six minutes. The people in Sarasota and Tampa and the whole west coast of Florida Roy, are not going to forget those 380 seconds. No, can't imagine they will, And uh, but the Lightning need to. Um, they need to get that out of their minds uh, in a hurry. Well, they've, got, they've still got another 24 hours to do it, um, but they got to put it behind them and move forward and uh, start uh, playing a little bit better hockey overall, maybe get a little bit better goaltending uh, as well, because um, they are on the brink of, obviously, of being eliminated by the Leafs, and it would be his, a, an historical uh, elimination. Uh, I mean, it's been 20 years since the uh, the Leafs have won a, a first-round uh, playoff series. Uh, longer than that, obviously, since they've won a Stanley Cup. So um, anything the Leafs do in a positive manner is going to be uh, historic. And I don't know if you want to be at the other end of that history. So we'll see how it goes. But um, And you know what? I, I'll say this. I, I said the Lightning need to play better hockey. They do. Um they just need to be a little bit smarter. I mean, you know, they, they took a couple of bad penalties. They've taken some bad penalties here in this series. That's one thing that's really not, uh, you know, kind of they're like them. That's that's a little bit, uh, you know, different than what they usually play. They're usually a little smarter than that. That's number one. Uh, number two, the goaltending has just been ordinary. And very seldom do you use that word when talking about Andre Vasilevsky. So they need to get a little bit better goaltending. Uh, a little bit smarter defensively uh, in their own end, obviously, and uh, and, I, and it goes for the forwards in particular. Uh, the defense has been a little bit shaky, but more than anything, it's it's been bad turnovers by uh, forwards, um, uh, Nikita Kucherov uh, primarily, that uh, has really hurt them. So they just they got to play smarter. Uh, they got to get better goaltending, and I think they can do it. Um, 
I won't be surprised at all if this series comes back to Tampa for game six. Um, uh, you know, I'll be surprised. I'm a little, I'll be a little bit surprised now if, if the Lightning can hold on and win. But you know what? Momentum is a, lot, is a big thing. And if they can somehow, you know, it starts by winning the first period tomorrow night. And if they can win the first period, well, maybe they can win the game. If they can win the game, they can, you know, they can get things going in their direction and get the, the momentum going and get that back. And if they can get that back, um, you know, we saw that uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, I think they're fragile. Um, but they're also very, very powerful and very, uh, uh, very dangerous. Well, I think two things, Roy, that maybe you'd comment before we go to Roger, Dan, and Lynn, and that is that, you know, the, the Lightning won game one convincingly. They had game two pretty much in their pocket at the last minute. They gave up the tying goal and then lost it in overtime up at Toronto. Then, of course, they were ahead 4-1 to one as we're talking about this final uh, six minutes plus. They're ahead 4-1, to one, uh, you know, with, with less than 10 minutes to go in the game, and they blow that one and then lose it in overtime. So it's uh, it's been a very, very unusual total series for the way Coop and the, and the Lightning normally play. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, as you said, uh, you know, the moment, as I said, I really, momentum is, is so important. And I think what happened uh, in the last game was it just, you know, the momentum shifted, and it shifted in a hurry. And uh, the Maple Leafs rode that wave, and the Lightning just couldn't stop it. Again, you know, sometimes you just need your goaltender to come up with a big goal, or you need a big, you know, a big goal yourself. Um, they didn't get those big plays. And here's one of the one of the other issues. Their best players are not all their best players right now. Um, you know, I think Hedman has been fine. I think Kucherov has played poorly at, in a lot of cases, particularly in his own end. Um, you know, Braden Point is doing what he can do. Uh, but I think you could see a little bit more out of Steven Stamkos. Um, you know, he seems to have lost the range with that one-timer, which is, uh, you know, his critical shot. I mean, that's his... Uh, that's his bread and butter. That's his um, his lethal weapon, and it is a lethal weapon, but it's no good if you can't put it on net. And, uh, you know, people know it's coming, uh, but it's usually so good that it doesn't matter. Uh, but lately he's he's been missing with it, and he can't miss with it. And uh, part of that is, is the defensive style. I mean, let's face it, there's, uh, you know, the Maple Leafs are being aggressive, um, and they need to be. Um, and that's a big part of it, too. So, uh, look, I, I'm not counting the lightning out. Uh, that's, I think that's a big mistake. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to prove to me that they can't win this series before I, uh, I'll count them out. So uh, I still think they've got at least another win in them in this uh, series. Uh, and it obviously needs to come tomorrow night. Roger Henry, Atlanta, go to it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Roy, uh, so I've watched some really great games and we've talked about it in the past, the Stanley cup playoffs. Uh, probably the best in sports uh, as far as excitement, competition. uh, And like you were, uh, and Don were talking about uh, late and long, uh, uh, long game uh, action and scoring. But uh, I was watching the uh, Rangers and and the Devils a couple of nights, you know, they were playing, uh, you know, back-to-back games, but not, you know, with a, a game in, or a day in between. And there were some really great uh, games uh, at, at both the Garden and, and also uh, in Newark. And uh, I, once again, I think the, uh, the the Stanley Cup, you never know. I mean, who would have thought that this would happen to 
uh, to the lightning, and uh, but stranger things have happened in the past in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, it's a very unpredictable, uh, uh, you know, playoff. It's um, it's again, it, it is it, it is unlike any other uh, because they play seven games from the start uh, because the the teams really are so close because it's a completely different style of hockey and really what it is to test. You know, did you build your team properly? And, um, you know, we know that the Lightning have uh, from the past. Obviously, if you go to three straight finals in a row, you're, you're doing something right. Um, the Leafs uh, have been a little bit different, but they figured some things out, clearly. Um, picked up some players that uh, that make a difference. I mean, you see, you see guys like, you know, they're not household names, but uh, guys like Noel Achari for uh, the Maple Leafs. I mean, that's a, that's a guy who – who plays the style of hockey that wins you Stanley Cups and wins you playoff series in the, and, and keeps you alive in the playoffs. Um, you put him out there with guys like Ryan O'Reilly and, uh, you know, and, and you see what the, what the difference is. You, you get a little grit, and all of a sudden everybody gets a little bit more brave. Everybody feels a little bit more confident about uh, what, whatever their assignment might be. Uh, you know, players like, uh, you know, uh, Mitch Marner and uh, – uh, Austin Matthews uh, feel a little bit better about themselves out there. They feel a little bit more protected, and um, that protection uh, leads to confidence. That confidence leads to uh, success, and success leads to winning a series, and, and that's where the Leafs are. But you're right. Um, you know, the, the playoffs have been really good uh, so far. Uh wouldn't say they've been exceptional, but they've been really good. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there's there's more great hockey to come, and that's the best part about it. Uh, you know, as Tommy used to love this time of, this time of year. We all do, and uh, they, they, they reward us every year in the NHL. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, you don't have to have a whole lot of – and last night, I mean, you know, it was funny last night, guys. I don't know if you caught, caught this. Two goals were scored off people's faces last night. Now, one was kind of a an own goal. Uh, it was a def, uh, defensive player. Uh, for the Islanders, who got had a puck go off his go off his cheek, uh, but then uh, one was actually scored, uh, you know, for a team off someone's face. So I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's, it's seldom you ever seen anybody, you know. But but you know what? That's the price people are willing to pay uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs because you know team guys are willing to put their face in front of a puck. Uh, you know, this was you know to, to score a goal sometimes and. Uh, and it happened twice last night. So um, the NHL uh, come playoff time never never disappoints. Well, fellas, we got the NFL draft tomorrow. Uh, we're going to talk to Billy Warrendell of our lads, and of course, uh, been around the dial, a great sports uh, broadcaster in Philadelphia. He's coming up in the next half hour to talk about the draft. But Roy, you again with the Bucks from uh, when they first started out. Todd Bull said White, who was very much uh, a speculation of whether he was going to be traded or what he was going to do. Uh, he did. He was uh, uh, assigned a contract for this year, uh, so uh, they had the option of uh, of doing whatever they want there. But Todd Bull said today that he was definitely not going to be traded tomorrow. So your thought or two about where the Bucks stand going into tomorrow afternoon? I'll tell you what. The Bucks have become one of the more intriguing teams in this draft. First of all, they're – to me, they're always intriguing because they're always ready to move. Um, the, you know, they're, they're positioned at number 19 right now. Uh, my guess is they won't stay there, um, but they might, you know, based on the, the possibility that what they're looking for may come right to them at number 19. When you're sitting at 19, you kind of got to wait for the draft to kind of unfold. Unless there's somebody out there that you really think you want, 
um, you know, you pretty much have to sit there and, and let it happen and let it come to you. But, you know, Jason Light has always been very aggressive. He's not afraid to move up, certainly not afraid to move down uh, in the first round and move around in the other rounds. And so we'll see what happens tomorrow night. But, you know, there's a lot of intrigue around the Buccaneers because there's this thought that they're going to, they could possibly draft a quarterback. You know, it could be Will Levis out of Kentucky. It could be Anthony Richardson out of Florida. You know, they could, if if they feel it, I, and I, I don't think they do personally. I, look, I still think that the Buccaneers are going to try to uh, shore up uh, one of their uh, front lines, be it the defensive line with an edge rusher or the offensive line with a tackle uh, or someone who can split between tackle and guard, somebody they can move around. You know, I still think that's, uh, that's the likely scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the Bucks are not afraid to take chances, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, uh, they're, they're an intriguing team. And you know what? Your Eagles have become, become intriguing, too, because there's a lot of talk that they may uh, take a run at, uh, at what was once the, uh, the top player in this draft, the kid out of Georgia, who's obviously fallen out of favor with some teams. But uh, there's some talk that the Eagles may try to move into position uh, to take the edge uh, rusher out of Georgia. So we'll see what happens. And also, I'm not a veteran, but uh, big stories in the post today about uh, uh, Levis's family saying that uh, he's been assured the Panthers are going to take him number one, which is a little bit of a surprise. Everybody thought they were going to take Young. We obviously don't know anything, but the odds all of a sudden in Vegas and every place else have dropped dramatically. Uh, I think he started off at like 300 to one and where he is now. Roger, you're in Atlanta, and of course, that's intriguing as well because they need a couple of pieces. Yeah, and and there are a lot of speculation about taking uh, a running back, and it doesn't make sense because they're loaded with running backs. Uh, But uh, talking about the uh, uh, the Panthers, uh, I listened to uh, Mike Lombardi uh, today uh, on uh, with Chris Russo, uh, and I found that interesting about the assessment of the Panthers that they could be uh, the strongest team in the NFC South. Uh, to me, it's surprising, but when you think about it and you analyze it, he's probably right. Uh, you know, I don't see the Falcons uh, really ma- making a uh, uh, big improvement uh, in the season. I may be wrong. Uh, and obviously, we know the situation uh, with the Bucks, and uh, I think New Orleans uh, is probably a little uh, uncertain. Uh, what do you what do you think about that in the NFC route, uh, 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 South, uh, Roy? Yeah, I think. Look, sitting at number eight, I think the Falcons are a real interesting team too. They need a quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. There should be one available to them. Uh, I got to think that someone is going to fall to them. Um, again, it, it may not be the one they want, but you know, do you pass on an Anthony Richardson if he's sitting there for you at number eight? Do you pass on a Will Levis if he's sitting there for you at number eight? I mean, what do you do? Do you take C.J. Stroud if he suddenly falls? If you know, if Levis does go number one overall, um, you know, the quarterbacks are always so overrated. But mm. for a team like Atlanta, um, you know, to me, I, I, I think it makes sense to, to, to where, where they're at in number eight. You know, I don't think it's a bad idea necessarily to take a quarterback if somebody falls to you. But, you know, the other thing that you could do is just admit that, hey, we're not ready to make that leap yet. Um, you got to know what, uh, what's coming down the pike, what's coming down next year in the draft. And, and that's one of the real you – know, that's one of the things that most draft fans completely forget is the general managers, you know, have a board 
uh, of, of what's coming next year. They know what's out there, and they've got a pretty good read on those players now. Um, you know, it's not as great a read, obviously, as uh, they have on these guys, but you know, they know they know if there's going to be a quarterback available next year or two or three, and, and, and they know if, if there's some guys out there that could – uh, suddenly, uh, you know, change their organization around. So they, you know, they, they base their decision sometimes on that as well. Um, and, and in that case, again, the Falcons become intriguing because, you know, it may seem boring, but if you, you know, if you end up taking somebody like, uh, you know, Peter Skaronsky out of uh, out of Northwestern, just an offensive lineman who can play every position, well, well how does yeah. that hurt you? You know, I mean, that doesn't hurt you at all. Uh, you know, if you end up taking a defensive end, you know, Lucas Van Ness or Nolan Smith, somebody like that, you know, take an edge rusher, how does that hurt you? It doesn't because you have to build the other parts of the team too. Um, but the, just the situation that they're in, a team that needs a quarterback and with the way the quarterbacks are always overrated and with four four of them at least projected to go in the first round, you just wonder if the Falcons will decide, you know, hey, that's, that's, that's for us. We're in the market this time around. So, um, you know, as always, plenty of intrigue. Uh, around the draft, it, ne- it never it never disappoints in that regard. Well, all they talk about is dumb, uh, you know, Young had a, had a great year, but all they talk about is his size and his ability, and we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, of course, tomorrow with the draft, because it was pretty much hands down that he was going to be the first quarterback drafted. But hey, there are five quarterbacks <laughs> that they're talking about that are uh, almost moving around, front and back, up and down, and so forth. I'll tell you, for me, I like that kid from TCU. Nobody else likes him, but he's going to go probably in the second or third round. But I'll tell you, if I were general manager, I'd pick him somewhere along the line. Roger, go ahead. Well, I was going to say next year's uh, class uh, has a a really good uh, group of quarterback prospects. And it was just funny today, listening to Mike, uh, all of a sudden I fast forward, uh, what, what, four or five years, uh, assuming that – uh, he doesn't get hurt, uh, that they have a lot of success, Don, at your alma mater, the University of Texas. I was thinking about Arch Manning, okay, and right. uh, Cooper's son, who uh, what is the number one uh, quarterback prospect uh, going into college uh, this, this year. And uh, you just wonder uh, how he will perform uh, in college, assuming, like I said, that he doesn't get hurt. and uh, But that would be interesting, you know, uh, if I'm around in five years <laughs> to see that brand. <laughs> well, the other thing is the kid out of Texas, everybody seems to want is a running back. Uh, whether or not, uh, you know, he's going to go as highly rated as uh, everybody in the papers is saying, I don't know. He's a heck of a player. Roy? Yeah, he is, and I've seen a couple of mock drafts. Of course, everybody's got their own ideas. You know, everybody's trying to be different, really. But I'd say, hey, look, I've seen a couple that say the Eagles would go for him. And you know what? I wouldn't argue with that. If, if I'm the Eagles and I'm sitting at number 10 and, and you, you take the running back, I don't have a problem with it because, to me, that's something that kind of finishes off your team. You've got, you've got the quarterback. You feel pretty good about your offensive line as it is. You're, you're very strong defensively as it is. You know, what do you really need? Well, what they need is a running back. So, um, you know, it, 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 to some people it doesn't make sense uh, taking a running back 10th overall. But you know what? Usually when a running back's taken that, that high, there's a reason behind it. They usually give you four or five really, really good years. And, uh, and it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, take a look at Saquon Barkley. I mean, let's face it. Uh, would anybody, you know, deny having that guy on their team right now? They would. I, I don't know that. 
Bijan Robinson is in that category, but you know he's going to have a chance to prove it because I think somebody's going to take him high. And you know, one of the other things talking about uh, not only the you know obviously the Falcons, the Eagles, Tampa Bay, um, all these teams that are really you know one there's a real benefit to the fact that every year quarterbacks are overrated, and there's a real benefit potential benefit at least. Um, to the possibility that three or four of these quarterbacks this year go in the first, you know, six, eight, nine, ten picks. Right. Every time a quarterback's taken, it pushes somebody else down a spot or two that maybe Thank wasn't you, expected. So, you know, the Falcons could be the first team to really benefit from that. You know, does the Tyree Wilson fall to them? Uh, you know, uh, the kid out of Texas Tech, the, the edge rusher out of Texas Tech. Uh, you know, does, does something happen that uh, Tampa now ends up with the second or third best uh, offensive tackle instead of the fourth or fifth. Um, you know, these are all things that can happen as a result of quarterbacks being taken too soon. And it's oftentimes, guys, it's oftentimes, and we all know this, uh, that the teams that take the quarterback and, and gamble and roll the dice, um, it's oftentimes they end up, uh, you know, missing out. And the, benefic- the benefactors are the people down lower in the draft who just, you know, sat tight waited for the draft to come to them and decided, okay, you didn't think this guy was worth your, your, your pick at number 12? We're going to take him. You didn't think this guy was worth it at number six? We're going to take him at number eight. Um, that's how drafts are won, guys. Uh, you, you sit back, you, you let things happen, you see how it's unfolding, and uh, you, you, you jump on your opportunity when it's presented to you. So, again, it's all, uh, you know, it's all a matter of uh, what kind of work you put in, and you know, every team's doing it. So uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. It's going to be fun. Roy, thank you very much for your analysis the first half hour. As always, we'll get together again next week, and we'll kick it all around again and see who the winners were and who the losers were. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Roy, guys. have a Appreciate great week. It. Have a great week. You well, our man that's been all around the country this last week, Billy Werndell, an outstanding <laughs> sportscaster in Philadelphia for so many years. But Billy has been on the fan on Sunday night. He's been on WIP in Philadelphia. He's been in New York. He's been in Philadelphia. He's been on Our Lads Guide since day one. Billy Warndell, we're talking about the draft, as you expect. Give me an idea where, first of all, the Eagles are going to go. Well, I think they're going to attempt to move up to try to get Jalen Carter, the outstanding defensive lineman from Georgia. It will be costly, but they feel as though they want unique players. And if they can make that trade for uh, Jalen Carter, because they have a lot of age on the defensive line with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, I think Howie wants to move up and take a player of that magnitude. Now, remember, that Jalen Carter was in for a visit for the Eagles, and they obviously grilled him on every issue uh, that he confronted, especially with the accident and the drag racing and, of course, being out of shape for his pro day. So I think if those all those answers were yes, 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 and he, he convinced the Eagles that he is uh, a guy that's on the straight and narrow, I think the Eagles will do everything in their power to move up and get Galen Carter, a difference maker on the defensive line. Well, Roger, you're up next, and Howie hadn't made too many mistakes with the Eagles over the last couple of years, so go to it. No, but as Don was saying, Bill, I, I went to sleep on Saturday night uh, with you and Ricky Ricardo on the fan in New York. I went to sleep Sunday night with you and Ricky Ricardo on WIP, and it was great radio. But, uh, you know, well, let me ask you a question, to... Roger. Do you have any nightmares that night? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I wanted a replay. <laughs> but no, no, the uh, uh, getting back to Carter, uh, you know, the other thing is that really does concern me uh, and uh, was that he was totally unprepared for his interview uh, at the Combine. Uh, from what uh-huh. I understand, and you know more about it than me. And, well, uh, the thing I mean, is, he, was, he was being subpoenaed by the Georgia, uh, well, the Athens Police Department. And yeah. obviously that was uh, weighing on his mind at that time. And I, I believe he left the combine to get back to Georgia and uh, discuss it with the police. I was yeah, just going to say, didn't back. he uh, say that yeah. at the very beginning that, yeah, you know, he he was under that pressure with the the police were still controlling what he could say and what he couldn't say, and he didn't want to get involved in a press conference at the uh, at that particular time. I think that's the way he addressed it, wasn't it, Billy? Yeah, I think you're right, Don. I, I think you're right, and that's why a number of teams. Now, of course, he told his agent, "I only want to visit with teams who have a top ten pick," and that was his. Uh, that was Drew Rosenhaus dictating where Jalen Carter was going to go. Yeah, well, that's Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah, I mean we've been we've dealt with him over many years, and uh, but the you know the other thing he is a special player. Okay, but then there were uh, the uh, we're talking about uh, Robinson uh, from Texas, Don's alma mater, and uh, you know there was some uh, talk about that the uh, Eagles may uh, go for him, and then. Mike Lombardi said today uh, with uh, the Mad Dog, Chris Russo, he said that he's just so much more uh, than just a running back. And I'll tell you, with all the – He's right uh, about the, that. If you look at B. John Robinson, he's an excellent running back. He's a very good pass catcher. And the right. other thing that stands out, he's an excellent blocker. So many mm. running backs do not like to block, but he will stick his nose in there, and you like that. And if you look, if the Eagles drafted B. John Robinson, all right, look at the weapons. You have Jalen Hurts, you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, all right, Dallas Goddard, and B.J. B. John Robinson. That's a pretty good arsenal of offensive weapons. Absolutely. Billy, uh, the one thing we look at uh, from a, a division standpoint uh, everybody was so close last year, even uh, Washington, as it turned out, uh, almost made the playoffs. Uh, the balance, the tipping balance is not very bright. Uh, you make the right move, you're going to make a strong move within the division. Well, Don, I look at not only the division, but the conference. Other than Jalen Hurts, give me a prime-time quarterback in the conference right now. Is there one? Zero. Dak Prescott? Aaron Rodgers has gone to the Jets. Is there one prime-time quarterback other than Hurts in the conference? No. They I have more quarterbacks in the that. NFC East than they have in all of the you – know, you, you look at – the only team that doesn't have a quarterback of name is, is uh, you know, the, the, the Patriots. They're, unbelievably, they don't have a named quarterback. Well, you have Sam Howell, the starting quarterback with Washington. I mean, uh, Desmond Ritter, the starting quarterback with the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of these right. guys could be in a lineup, and you wouldn't recognize who they are. Exactly. Roger? 
Well, that's exactly right. And uh, I mentioned earlier, Bill, that uh, when you when you look at the NFC South, uh, the best team uh, at the end of the season could be the Panthers. I mean, you know, uh, with what they have and, and what they uh, can get in the draft. Uh, but, uh, you, know, we're, you know, we talked about it with Roy for a little bit. Do you think that uh, Howie uh, will uh, give up a lot to go uh, earlier in the draft rather than 10, higher than 10? Well, I, I remember next year he has, I believe, four compensatory picks. <laughs> he has, I believe, 11 picks going into the draft next year. So he could use the draft capital from next year. Uh, and he only has six picks this year. But Howie's mm. always been a guy that liked the draft in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, and he has no picks there. So he has to be very careful that he doesn't uh, mortgage the future. So uh, I, <laughs> I think he has enough to move up from, say, 10 to 3 if he gives up. All right, you'll have to give up. Maybe your 10th pick and maybe your 31st pick to move up uh, in that top six or seven picks. Because I think if Seattle has the opportunity to get Carter, they will jump on him. And I think that he's mm-hmm. going to be on the phone with Arizona a lot because Arizona wants to move out. Mm-hmm. Billy, give, give me your observation, Billy, on Brett Favre and, and Rodgers. I mean, the Jets made a big move to get Brett Favre. <laughs> Years ago, uh, because he was going to turn the corner, make the Jets a big-time team again. You know, you're talking about guys 39 years old. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Rodgers isn't a great core, hadn't been a great quarterback, but he's 39 years old. I mean, to automatically say they're the favorites in the, in the National League, National Football East, I don't understand that. That's ridiculous, Don. Look, he is 39 years old. They have weapons on offense. All right. Right. Uh, the key is, you know, that they have a pretty good offensive line. So I said they have weapons on offense. But again, when you're that age, when you hit the wall in sports, it comes tumbling down in a hurry. I mean, it's a calculated risk by the, the Jets. They're, they're, they were very impatient last year. They thought Zach Wilson would take another step and become a very good quarterback. Instead, he regressed. Maybe with Wilson watching Rodgers for a year or two, that he will develop into a good quarterback. But right. they, they feel as though, hey, we got to put all the chips in the middle of the table. we got to get the playoffs. Simple as that. And they feel as though Rodgers gives them the best opportunity. They build a pretty strong defense. they got a pretty good offense. So you have a veteran quarterback like Rodgers. Was it a lot? Yes. But if, if they get in the playoffs and they make some noise, get to the say the AFC championship game, it's well worth it. Yeah, and last year he did. In all honesty, he played with a broken thumb throughout most of the season, so yep. uh, mm-hmm. it was tough to really give a fair evaluation of what happened in Green right. Bay. But uh, Roger, you're up. Well, I have also heard that the uh, Jets are now uh, requiring. Uh, to uh, buy the next two years as a season ticket holder uh, because of uh, his acquisition. And, you know, people want to get on the bandwagon and get into uh, MetLife Stadium now to see see the Jets. I don't know whether you guys have heard anything about that or not, but I guess that, that's that's the story. And they, they want to sell season tickets and 
they figure they uh, have him uh, for two years, and, uh, you know, he probably will hopefully do for them, will do what uh, Tom Brady did for Tampa Bay uh, and win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years. You know anything about that? That that really disgusts me. Don't these owners have enough money to just bleeding the public every which way? I'm sick and tired of it. I mean, the Jets have been downtrodden. Now if he signs, they want season ticket holders uh, to commit more money for a two-year period. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing that bothers me about sports today. How much money do these owners really need? They're billionaires. And I'll tell you this. I'm tired of owners in all sports, baseball, football, even basketball and hockey, asking the public to fund the stadium. They're billionaires. They can afford to fund their own stadium. I'll give them a break on the taxes. I'll give them a break on the land. But you're going to put your own money up. Bill Wrigley, Carl Scheib, when they built Connie Mac Stadium in Scheib Park many years ago, they built it with private funds. It's time the public does not have to pay the freight any longer. I agree. Billy, uh, you and I have gone around and around now with the last couple of years, not only in the National Football League, but baseball as well, and all sports in terms of uh, gambling. Of course, a uh, major uh-huh. setback Major setback this week with not only NFL players being knocked out, college players being knocked out. Gambling is now becoming a major, major problem. I, w- I would suggest to you, because you use great guests on your show, uh, if you can get a hold of Dave Whitley, W-H-I-T-L-E-Y, and uh, he works for the USA Today, and he's from the uh, Greenville Sun. He has a tremendous, tremendous column in today's paper about what's happening in the National Football League and the the integrity of the game and the owners, and more importantly, the commissioner. I know he'd be a terrific, terrific guest on your show. I'll try to get him. If you give me a contact number, I'll try to track him down, Don. Uh, but I, know, I don't. I don't have a number for him. I just. I just read the column this afternoon, and I know he's right. a contributor on USA Today. He's also uh, a major columnist, uh, you know, as far as the uh, uh, paper is concerned. And, and uh, but I don't have a telephone number for him. I'll, I'll well, see if we, because I'm going to see if we get him on our show too. Because he, I, what right. a terrific column! He, he's in. Uh, he's, he's in Gainesville. Uh, the Gainesville Sun is the name of the paper that he actually has a column in, but he's also the contributor to the USA Today. Gainesville, Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's the deal. They have opened up Pandora's box. It used to be a no-no. Oh, we can't gamble. We can't gambling. We can't gamble. Now they're in bed. They're at kiosks in every stadium. Like the Nationals already have it. It's just absurd. I'm just waiting for a big-time player to be involved, a big-time, or a number of players to be involved. I want to see how the commissioners of the league handle it, all right? Because they welcome gambling with open arms because guess what? It was more money for the owners. More right? money. You know how much they're getting now? $2 billion. He's got it in his column today. $2 billion. That's well, what their yeah. cut is. All they worry about is money. They don't care about the integrity of the game, all right? We're fooling ourselves 
if we think these owners and 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 people that are in charge of franchises really worry about the integrity of the game. The integrity of the game went out the window a number of years ago when they welcomed the gambling element in. Every well, time one of the leading uh, parts of his story is that you almost think that in 2012 when Roger Goodell wrote uh, a court document, the National Football League cannot be compensated in damages for harm that sports gambling poses to the goodwill and character of the National Football League. That's what it, That was in 2012 before court. He wrote that letter saying, that, that, and now look where we are. Well, again, you think we really have a good commissioner in any of the sports? No, we don't have no. any good commissioner. really believe no. that we have people that really think of the integrity of the game. Look, it'll be like WWF. We'll know what the outcome of the games are going to be eventually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Game, that's analogy. the problem. That's the problem. Well, yeah, Bill, you know what you were also saying, which I totally agree with, how many owners really care about winning? Okay? Because they're really. going to get their money no matter what. You're absolutely right. You know, like in baseball, you see certain clubs, there should be a floor as far as far as how much money you should spend every year. There's not that in baseball. There's that to a certain extent in football. But you're right. There's certain franchises. We went through it for four years in Philadelphia watching flop a la mode, night in and night out with the Sixers. A, a inferior right. product. How many championships have they rung up in Philadelphia? Zero. The, the tankology did not work. And, you know, well, then if Josh Harris gets the uh, commanders, uh, is he really uh, in it to uh, win championships or is an investment to make a lot of money? I think it's the well, latter, make a lot of money. I think, absolutely. These guys, that's all they're thinking about is the bottom line. How much money can we make? The, the owners of yesteryear are long gone. The guys that thought about, about the, the goodness of the sport, look, they wanted to make money. But they certainly thought that, hey, we've got to have some integrity in our game. Well, Billy, we followed the 76ers, you and I, for 50 years, or maybe more than 50 years. Uh, they finally put together a team that, uh, that really played very, very well in the first round of the playoffs. Now, of course, the Brooklyn Nets aren't a great team to beat, but they beat them in four straight. They played very, very well. Uh, your thoughts, first of all, before we let you go, we jump over to the NBA, and, and uh, what do you – what do you think of the Sixers going into round two? If Embiid is healthy, they can go a long way. But mm. that's the big question. Can he be healthy? Remember, they held him out of game four, and now he's had almost a week's worth of rest, and they'll ramp it up either against Atlanta or the Celtics. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, last night we thought the Celtics were going to cruise in, lock, lock up their, their – uh, the game, and then the Atlanta Hawks came roaring back and beat them. And beat I them mean, at the uh, wire for a whisker, but uh, you're right. I, I I think they'd be much better off though getting the Hawks than they would be getting the. the so I don't think they the want to Celtics, play the Celtics. Yeah. But that's a great rivalry. That goes back to the old Warrior days in Philadelphia. Right. I mean that that's a great rivalry, and people will be jacked up for that. But I I, I think it's all 
contingent upon the health of Embiid. Can he stay healthy throughout the playoffs? If he blows another tire, I mean, Paul Reed's a nice backup player, but hey, he's not Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. You know, no, that's right. Key. He's head and shoulders the MVP, no question about it. He should be the MVP, you're right, but they would always look at that, how many games did he miss? They always look at that, Don. Yeah. Always. And that's unfortunate. Roger? Well, they did the same thing with uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, about the uh, MVP. Uh, yeah, because he should have the MVP. He missed the two games. And they gave yeah. him Patrick Mahomes. That's the way it, yeah. it works. If you miss any well, time, it, look it, out. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Bill, the, uh, I have kids that, uh, you know, did you ask me in school, uh, did you see Wilk Chamberlain play? I said I did. I saw him a lot. We, you Don and I, Frank, we saw him a lot. And I told him, I said, I, I saw him with my buddies sitting in uh, Section N at Convention Hall that first game in, uh, that he played against Bill Russell as a rookie. Uh, the first game was in Boston, but the second game was in uh, Philly. And, uh, um, you know, they can't believe, uh, you know, some guys say, I don't believe he had 100 points. And, you know, you have to play Bill Campbell, you know, that uh, recording. But uh, they just – they can't, the, the kids can't believe a lot of stuff that you and Don and Frank have seen over the years. But believe uh, in the NBA. Will Chamberlain was the most dynamic player ever to shoot up in the NBA. That includes LeBron. That includes Michael Jordan. Will Chamberlain could do anything he wanted on a basketball court. I became right. very good friends in San Diego with Alex Hannum. And I said, Alex, there was a game in Chicago. The, Wilt, the, 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 the game before, he didn't score many points. There was a, there was a number of articles in the Philadelphia Bulletin, Daily News, Inquirer saying, has Wilt lost his touch uh, to score? What happened in Chicago? He scored 66 points that night. So Wilt could do anything he wanted. They didn't keep block shots back in the day. Uh, Billy, the biggest thing about Wilt was 1961-62, and this is in the column today, the same same fellow I'm telling you about, the same fellow that David did in the paper today, he's got some of the things on odds and ends, and he's got a story on Wilt, 1961-62, you remember it well as I do, he missed eight minutes in the entire season of minutes played in a game, and that was because it it was a technical, he was taken out of the game on a technical foul. Let me say one thing about Will. There was no load management back in the day, all right? He played every night, averaged like 47 and a half minutes a night. Right. A night, every night. And they didn't have the luxury jets taking him from city to city, all right? He had, they flew commercial. They had to go through airports and all that. They didn't have the luxury these guys have today. How does Wilt play today? He would dominate this sport. <laughs> there would be nobody. Who would match up with Wilt? Tell me. He would He would own the sport. There's no question about it. Greatest player of yeah. all. They talk about Jordan. They can talk about all the players they want to talk about. They didn't see Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain was so far ahead of everybody else. It was unbelievable. Billy, thank you very, very much. You'll get together again soon. Always a pleasure to have you on. And 
we'll get back to what they settle in or what these draft choices everybody picked. Why we'll get together again and you give us a rundown of what you think. Nice and I look problem. forward to you, you put me to Billy, sleep. Billy, I always have you before you run off. I always nights. have you give. I always have you give your <laughs> intro to your show, so that everybody that's listening here can hear you anywhere around the world. Give us, give us your intro, and we'll go to our next guest. WCAT fifteen twenty the dial ninety five three on the FM dial. WCAT fifteen twenty dot com Facebook as well, and you always can follow me on Twitter. The Werndell W E R N D L. Thanks, Don and Roger. Talk to you hey, later. Bill, take care. Take care, hey. partner. Always the best. And now let me bring Roger back in because Ann Miller is waiting to uh, join us. Really looking forward to this segment. It's something that I don't know very much about, but Roger has more knowledge than I do. So, Roger, get in on here for us. Okay. Annie, it's a pleasure to have you with us, and we're going to really inform Don about girls' flag football. Okay? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I'm so excited. Well, you should be, and uh, she's very involved at uh, Hendricks Middle School uh, as a math teacher and a coach, and now she's taken on uh, a girls' flag football. They've moved it down to uh, middle schools. It's been at the high school and the college level, obviously. And uh, t- tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, the number of girls that ca- uh, signed up uh, when you made the announcement. I didn't know what to expect at first. I just was trying to get some interest. And at the interest meeting, we had 70 girls there for middle school girls flag football, which is just amazing. Well, you know, I was uh, uh, we've had uh, Chris Jensen on uh, in the on the uh, in the past on the show, and I was at a softball game last night talking to him and his wife. And of course, they have two girls at uh, Hendricks. And, uh, and right. Chris played at the Missouri, and uh, they really didn't know uh, much about it. And, you know, I started breaking it down when you – because uh, Kat Bennett said today she'd love to have 75 girls come out for basketball. But when you think about it, you got 11 on uh, playing at one time. And you, you, and you, with defense, if you really have a defense, you're going to have 22 uh, players, you know, playing unless they, you know, double up. But the just to give uh, folks an idea, women's flag football finals weekend is going to be uh, in Atlanta, May 18th to 20th, and they now have NAIA teams, they have NCAA teams, and then they break it down by brackets so uh, people can go online and, and see that. But what I want to uh, talk about is like the high schools uh, in Forsyth County have had girls flag football. Now it's going to the middle school. Talk about how popular it was with the high schools, and I assume that's why it's been moved to middle schools. I 100% agree with you. I think the popularity of the last four years of girls' flag football, I mean, West Forsyth has a championship under their belt. They won the state championship several years ago. And I think just the, the growing of that sport, it's time to start incorporating it into the middle school sector. So these girls are already prepared and they're ready to go when they are entering their freshman year and they're trying out to be on the girls' flag football team. That's what it's all about. We want them to be already invested and interested in the sport and understand the basic concepts. 
before they and let me ask you two questions actually uh what is the enrollment of women in the, the junior school that you're talking about that that many people turned out for the team number one but number two are people really aware that now because of title nine all the universities are looking for more sports for women to balance out the program and women of course have been talking for so many years now that there's not enough money dedicated to women but now they're giving scholarships to flag football uh, players for young ladies that play at the high school level so give me two answers one what's what's the definition of your school for number of women as a, with 75 coming out for the team and number two what do you think about the title nine program where more scholarships are being given out for flag football and college football or college football Absolutely. Well, the enrollment of our middle school is about 1,300 students. Right. So okay. It's a great number of having 75 girls, and that was just the rising 7th and 8th graders. That wasn't including our rising 6th graders that will also get a chance to play as well. So that meeting will be in a couple of weeks for them when they are visiting the middle school. So I'll be really excited to see what those numbers look like. But right. as far as, and like, getting scholarships and stuff, I think it's amazing. I know West Recites had their first uh, athlete sign for college girls' flag football. And she's going to a, um, a small school, Milligan College, up in Tennessee. And she was the first ath- girl athlete to sign for flag football in Forsyth County for West Recites High School, which is just amazing. Well, you know, the other thing is, Annie, and I I told Don this, uh, and also when I talked to Frank, you and I uh, in Atlanta are very fortunate because they had flag football uh, playoffs uh, on on public broadcasting, and I think also on Peachtree TV, just like they have Friday Night Football. So uh, a girls' uh, high school flag football is getting uh, first-class publicity you know and uh and promotion through television and uh and obviously when the girls see that the younger girls that's going to get them interested and they uh, they they just keep on moving up the ladder go ahead you know don we know from recruiting okay and especially like uh, in the NCAA, uh, where, where do they want to go to big football schools? Where they, they're on TV, okay? They know they're going to be a lot of games on TV. I would say, and, well, what did, uh, ter- we, uh, Annie, we had Teresa uh, Grants on before the women's uh, Final Four, and uh, Don and I uh, and Frank know her, and, uh, she used to be the coach at uh, women's coach at Rutgers and then went to uh, Illinois and was on the very first national championship uh, women's team when it was uh, not even the NCAA. But she made a statement at the end of the interview when she said, I hope in 20 years uh, Title IX will not even be discussed or thought about. And I thought that was a good statement. And I think now with what you're doing and uh, what uh, the high schools and is uh, what I did want to ask, is every middle school in Forsyth going to have a team? No. So we are going to be the, the first one. We're, we're going to be starting it, seeing how the season goes, seeing how it works. And then hopefully my, I would love to see in two to three years 
almost every middle school in Forsyth County having a girls' flag football team. Who will, you, who will you be playing? If you had the team and no other teams, no other schools have teams yet, what will you be doing? Most likely scrimmaging ourselves. Um, it's going okay. to be a big year learning the game um, and just understanding um, we'll split the girls into two separate teams. Um, and if I can possibly get like a one more scrimmage, I'm hoping that my husband, who's also a teacher in the county, um, will be able to possibly have a small team at his school and middle school as well and um, practice with those athletes and see um, we can have, get a game together so these girls can actually play against somebody else other than their teammates and their classmates in the building. Roger? Well, and there are, uh, I'm, I'm sure, uh, some middle, middle school teams uh, throughout the Atlanta area. Okay, so, uh, you know, you may have an opportunity there. And then once it gets started and they see how uh, well you've done with the turnout. And, you know, it was funny. Uh, Chris said that uh, Ava, uh, who uh, one gets, you know, gets out of eighth grade and goes to high school, as I think Olivia and Ava, uh, she'd be a great quarterback. So, so we're already talking about uh, who's going to be playing for you, Annie, and you know what position they're going to be playing. It's insane. <laughs> I, I already have girls asking about what is the what's the uniform T-shirt going to look like? What what's going to be on it? What can we do? Like how can we get this kind of bag? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we haven't even started practice yet. That's not until August, and we're already talking about what you want and that that that's exciting to me they are already becoming invested that they want to be involved they they see this program and they see what the high school is doing that they're going to be attending majority of these students are going to be attending Westside high school or central or another school in the county and they see how fast it's growing and that gets me excited for the future of girls flag football well, of course, the National yeah, Football League now, instead of having their all-star game at the end of the season where somebody could possibly hurt, now they're working on flag football. So, you know, it's it's a growing, growing sport. I have to be very honest with you. I said to Roger when we talked about this, uh, I've never seen a uh, a girls' uh, flag football game. So I my knowledge is uh, zero, but i try to learn something from you, Ant. <laughs> you know, Don, in the, uh, the Hillsborough County, uh, realized how how uh, cost effective a uh, girls flag football team was. All you have to do is buy the belts and the shirts and a pair of shorts for the girls. Each and every high school now has it. Each and every middle school has it. And there is a semi-pro, if you will, uh, team that plays on Sunday at Jefferson High School Field that play uh, teams from all around the country. Well, Annie, I'll tell you what I'm going to be bringing up tomorrow after what Frank said. Uh, you'll be taking a trip to Florida to play some games. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we'll get that approved just yet in the middle school section, but maybe in the high school world we can get that approved. <laughs> just for the budget, Roger. Uh, listen, if they're talking about the backpacks and and everything else and uh, – I had uh, young Miss Faith today or yesterday, and I know she's trying out for you. But there, she she is, is interested in every sport. There's no doubt about it. 
she just is right. a, uh, a, a she's a gym rat, I guess, for or field rat. But uh, but when anyway, well, and, and most of these kids must really be football conscious. I mean, they must really have followed football and want to be a part of it to be involved in flight football for women. I mean, they they got to be football fans. They're dog fans. I agree with you there. Yeah. And, and Don, it's only an, an, a little over an hour from Athens, okay? And and they're dog fans. All you got to do is come into the school and see the the uh, jerseys. Uh, they, there was a funny story today. Uh, we've had uh, David Berger on, Annie, and he was telling me about a girl uh, who wear, had on. I saw her the other day. She had an Alabama shirt on, but, but her father didn't go to Alabama, and she wears it to antagonize him. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you never know, right, Annie? You never yeah. know. Well, listen. Great luck. Good luck with it. We were with great success, and uh, you know, I know you're going to do a great job. Uh, you know what I think about you, uh, not only as a teacher but a coach, and uh, uh, the whole school. I think it just says how wonderful the school is. I, I'm one of the biggest proponents of it, and uh, and what they they do. And I think for you and the school to be the uh, the origin. Uh, the first of uh, middle schools in Forsyth County uh, to um, uh, make this endeavor. Uh, I know my my daughter is a uh, high school girls basketball coach. <laughs> she said to me one time, she said, I wish I had played football instead of soccer. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, I don't. So, <laughs> you know, but. Well, Andy, we, first uh, of all, I congratulate you because you're a forerunner in the uh, – in the sport, and especially uh, in your school system. So as Roger said, I really congratulate you and wish you the best of luck. And I know Roger will keep us informed, and as you get the team to uh, assemble and uh, get it started, we'll have a chance to talk to you again, and you can tell us the pluses and the minuses and the difficulty of getting it started. Yes, awesome. Thank you all so much for having me. Go Hawks. Take Go care, on. Annie. Thanks so much. Y'all the best to your parents. Okay. Thank you. Don, I got and Frank, I got to tell you, her parents are uh, a treasure, and uh, they have only missed, uh, I think West High School uh, opened in, in 07. They have only missed one football game since it opened, and that was only because of her wedding. <laughs> That's fan. That is true high school fan. Well, before Mike comes on, uh, the New York Knicks are up 74-63 over Cleveland. Playing in Cleveland, the Knicks win the night they close out. The Sixers already closed out their series in four uh, against the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, those two teams will be moving on. Uh, Jalen Brunson's having another big, big game for the Knicks. Of course, we follow him very closely because his dad played for Temple. And uh, we did their games for so many years, 17 years. So uh, glad to see him doing very, very well as well. Uh, yeah, Bruins and uh, Florida tied at one. They just showed Robert Kraft sitting out in the stands at the Garden uh, with the fans. And then the Phillies were up 2 nothing. Uh, last I saw, they're down 5-2. to two. And uh, the culprit there was a former Philly 
who I guess if they hadn't uh, let him go, he would have been the uh, shortstop for a long time. J.P. Crawford, he hit a grand slam home run. So well, the uh, Phillies have been struggling, Roger. Uh, you know that as well as I do. And yeah. every time we expect them to get back on a little bit of a run for Robbie, they just haven't been able to do it. The pitching hadn't been able to hold up. The Mets uh, are in the same situation, although uh, – uh, they're going to slowly get their pitchers back, uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Yankees finally won a game against the Mets. I think it was 10 to 5. I forget the final score, but I think it was 10 to 5. I know they won big. And uh, so uh, baseball starting to level off, but not necessarily the teams you would expect. Baltimore's gotten off to a great start. Pittsburgh's playing very well. They lost a tough game last night to the Dodgers. They were well ahead and then lost it. I think final score was 8 to 7. And uh, But I think the Knicks are going to close out Cleveland and Cleveland to go to the next round. So a lot of, a lot of sports going on right now between hockey, basketball, and baseball. And, and of course, the uh, first two segments of the show, we talked about the National Football League and the draft coming up tomorrow night. I don't know if we solved any problems, Roger, but uh, maybe Frank's got an idea or two of a player he thinks the Eagles may take her. Somebody else may say, Frank, you got a you got a secret weapon out there that you think's gonna come up? <laughs> no, I don't, Don. Uh, the uh, boys were talking about you know my my grandsons do a a, a program uh, on Tuesday night, and um, they uh, were talking about it, and even they were saying there was a kid who's six foot seven coming out of Georgia. Uh, he's a he's a uh, uh, hmm, man. I forget what the hell position he plays now, but uh, they said that uh, Sirianni was very high on him, and they thought maybe he would get uh, get a shot, but I I can't remember the name. But, well, I thought uh, it was well, very interesting that right, that uh, that uh, uh, we were talking about that they were convinced that uh, you know maybe they were going to take that big tackle out of Georgia. Well, we'll see what uh, well tackle defensive end, whichever you want to call him. Right. And uh, Roger, you saw him play a lot, uh, Carter, and you know uh, we'll see what happens. I, I, I don't know. Well, the Phillies are now uh, down five four. Uh, no, no, he's good. I mean, he's great. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you have to question uh, a lot a lot of his decisions, okay? And uh, uh, there, I'll tell you, Frank, there there is a kid coming out of Denmark High School. Uh, and maybe, uh, you know, your grandson, uh, I guess that was Brady that does the show, right? No, it's all, all four of them. Yeah, they all do All it. four of them. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, one kid that uh, the, the, uh, is 6'7", 295, uh, for, uh, out of Denmark High School. He's all state. He's going to Tennessee. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who they might be alluding to uh, as far as uh, going in the draft. But uh, no, Carter's a tremendous player. I mean, I'm well. I'm, Billy Wardell said, you know, they, they had a Roseman had him in, and he had long discussions and talked about all the pluses and minuses and so forth. And Billy knows it more than we do. He's much closer to the situation. And uh, but it seems like Howie was very impressed with him and his answers. Well, you know, he he made some uh, picks uh, several years ago. Uh, and everybody was very high on him, and they really were flops. But uh, in recent years, he's been uh, really terrific, and he goes for uh, special players, that, especially in the Southeastern Conference. 
And I think we all have to admit that that's the best conference uh, in the country. Strong. No question. And Mike Zimzak is ready fun. to go now. And uh, Roger always asks you the first question about the, the TV situation with Washington. Well, it was a little bit of a decision made in the New York courts yesterday. Uh, so, Mike Zimzak, before we talk about your favorite sport, soccer, give us an update on uh, what, what this means now to the Washington franchise and the TV settlement. All right, so I got to admit I'm driving, so I hope you all can hear me. We got you. sound good. Yep. All right. Um, Yes, in New York courts, um, the Washington Nationals were awarded $100 million yesterday for the TV rights in between 2012 and 2016. So this goes back to the um, massing issues that we've been talking about for many, many months. Uh, Whether or not they're going to get that money right now or if the Orioles are going to appeal and drag it out longer, uh, that remains to be seen. But, yes, they were awarded uh, $100 million dollars yesterday for the rights for uh, 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 2012 to 2016. So it's not necessarily a, a surprise. I, I, um, from what I read, uh, they anticipated, or the people that were uh, obviously arguing the case from a legal standpoint, uh, they felt they had everything, every right to, uh, to be positive, and it looks like they, they were correct. Well, well, there's no reason to think that the Nats don't deserve this. Uh, The deal that was cooked up in between uh, Peter Angelos and Bug Sealy is basically unprecedented, and we have talked about that a number of times. You know, how can a franchise own another franchise's television rights and perpetuity and the fact that they haven't been able without courts to come to an agreement tells us just how ironclad that agreement really really was right roger well yeah the uh that's what's really uh surprising and uh you know, Mike, what's your gut feeling? Will do you think the Orioles will appeal this decision? I think the Orioles will appeal the decision just because that's what they're going to do. Um, do I think that the award was correct? Yes, and probably then some. But the Orioles are going to appeal this decision. They're going to use every single avenue that they have to delay this decision. Let me ask you this. How does it affect Washington's sale of the club then? It gives uh, any prospective buyer a little bit of optimism to say, like, okay, these TV rights deals are going to break a little bit in my favor in the future, but not much. 
at some point in time, Major League Baseball or somebody needs to come and clarify or uh, in some way how this contract is going to be worked. It's going to work. Um, the fact that the O's own so much of the Nationals' broadcast rights, and again, the way this was set up when um, Bud Sheeran and Peter Angelo set it up is in perpetuity. And what we've come to learn is not only does it include the over-the-air rights, it, we believe it also includes the streaming rights. Somehow, And that's big. Rob that's Man- big. Yes. Somehow Rob Manfred has to break this. Because oh, I think we're going to wait a long time for that. Yeah. The Nats need to have uh, – whoever's going to buy the Nats needs to know that they have some concrete revenue from TV coming in. And right now, all they know is whatever revenue that we have is going to be decided by the Baltimore Orioles and – all of that could be tied up in court for 10 years. Like, we just got a ruling on television rights from 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, we I got as much as we could do with that one, so let's get to your uh, your favorite sports, soccer, and uh, NLS. We'll start, uh, we'll start there first because they're starting to move along now. What, they got five weeks in? Uh, your thoughts there first. Well, number one, uh, the Philadelphia Union finally got it together. They uh, beat Toronto FC 4-2 on the weekend. Here come the Union. Again, Roger, your uh, Atlanta United looking really, really good. I would say the surprise package of the year is still the uh, expansion St. Louis team. Um they're really doing well, and it's not like they were built kind of like Atlanta United was. They did not lay out all of that money and stuff. So to see them where they are right now, a bit of a surprise. I'd like to see them continue to do this, uh, but I think it's going to tail off as the year goes on. Yeah, the uh, United are up one to nothing over Memphis uh, right now in the in the uh, second half. Uh, so that's uh, a, that looks right, like so pretty big thing. What you're watching right now is the uh, USL uh, uh, the USA Open Cup. It's uh, the Lamar Hunt Trophy. It's anybody who has a team can enter into this cup and get games. Uh, we've gotten to the third round. That is where the lowest-ranked 18 teams from MLS come in. So, yeah, you have Atlanta United uh, playing against Memphis. Um, there are some other interesting geographical teams playing. Uh, I believe D.C. United is playing against a team from uh, an amateur team from Baltimore. It's a lot of fun to watch this round because you have a lot of amateur teams that are playing against MLS teams. 
And anytime you can get a little bit of an upset, it's fun to watch. I'll tell you, talking about the Yammies, just to switch gears for a second, that doesn't have anything to do with Mike Simzak, really, but uh, for folks that follow golf, we talk about it. Doug's going to be on with us the next half hour. The young man, Bennett, that did so well in the Masters tournament, finished 16th uh, in the competition, was uh, remarkable. He was right up in the top 10 uh, through the first three rounds, and then that blew up a little bit in the fourth round. But uh, in the uh, in the conference championships now, uh, he finished 16th, uh, if you can believe that. He finished 16th in the conference championships, and he finished 16th in the Masters. So uh, uh, quite, a, quite a, a more remarkable conference as far as golf is concerned, I guess, if he fell all the way down to 16th after finishing in the Masters. But I'll tell you what, you got the amateurs playing against the pros sometimes, Mike. Not that easy. It's not that easy, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I do want to mention this as far as soccer goes. Um, I don't know if you all have been, but I know a lot of our listeners have. Uh, the series on Hulu, uh, Welcome to Wrexham, which is the soccer team that was bought by Rob McElhaney and, um, uh, and the guy from Deadpool. Um, they got promoted into the professional ranks in the English Premier League. Uh, it is a small team from North Wales. Um, they've been out of the professional divisions for 18 years. And so this has been an extremely big thing for them, not only in terms of where the soccer club is playing, right. but even in tourism. Uh, this club has sold out of all their inventory of jerseys, home, away, alternates. Uh, they had a great run in the FA Cup. Uh, ostensibly, they should be a little bit profitable this year, even though they're not playing professional. So they're going to move back into uh, League Two bottom tier of the English professional system next year. But pay attention to this. Um, it's a great story. So many people have been watching this team and come to love them. Uh, it's, it, it's great watch. It's great follow. And I'm waiting to see how the next season covers this season that is going on right now. Roger? Mike, I uh, wanted to get back to uh, soccer. The union uh, now three and four uh, wins and losses. But uh, do you see them uh, uh, turning it around? Uh, is is it a uh, uh, an issue like we see so many times with championship teams, where uh, the Phillies, for instance, uh, you know, having trouble getting started? Uh, after uh, losing the World Series, and we see that uh, often. Is that an issue for the union, do you think? Uh, up until, uh, yeah, I actually do. Um, they came out last weekend. Again, I said they won 4-2 over Toronto. And it's the first time all season I've seen the union really look like the union that I knew. There have been some games, um, 
tournament games and things like that that they've had to grow into, they're going to have to go into the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals in the next week. Uh, They had to get over. Let's be honest, gentlemen. That final that they lost to LAFC last October is one of the epic games, not only in MLS, but it's one of the epic cup finals in any league at any point ever. And they were on the losing side of it, and that takes a lot out of you. So that it took them a little bit of time to get back into this, I can understand that. Now what I'm starting to see, I hope, based on the performance last week, is they're starting to get into gear, and we're going to see them push on from here and make a run at another playoff run and something where they should be. Because this is a team that should be, again, competing to get to the point where they were at last year. Another update, the Astros beat the race that I won nothing. Uh, Rays only got a couple of base hits. Astros had five, but they won it by a score of one nothing. Roger? Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Mike, we just had uh, a woman on that's going to be the coach of, uh, and I know you're a uh, educator, and uh, I was wondering, at, uh, at your school, do they have uh, girls fly football? No. But, okay. Uh, I teach middle school, and we have in our conference a limited number of sports that they play. Okay, because uh, the uh, Hendricks, where I sub, that's going to be the first one in Forsyth County. But I was just doing some more research, and you probably uh, have seen this in Baltimore and Washington. Uh, with the NFL teams, the Eagles today, uh, or the other day, I guess, whatever, uh, they put out uh, the uh, announcement that girls' flag football is the fastest-growing sport in the country. And I found that uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, bring it up to you because uh, the Falcons are having a huge uh, next month uh, flag football uh the extravaganza in Atlanta at various venues and then to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The Eagles have done the same thing, and they have, uh, I guess, one coming up. So, obviously, uh, we are on the cusp of uh, a new phenomena in sports. Uh, and maybe in the, in the next couple of years, we'll all be talking about who beat who like we, you know, we've done with the MLS in a number of years, and but I can remember when we first started talking about soccer, uh, the MLS was not that popular, nothing like it is today, and it just takes some time. But I wanted to find out whether, uh, since I knew you were uh, involved in education, whether it was uh, it, it was uh, up there. So it is, but it's not obviously at your school. Uh, Well, two different things. Um, Do I think that that is, um, like football for for girls is going to become a thing, a a growing thing over the next couple of years? 
especially in middle and high schools? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is going to become an increasing thing, and we're going to see more of it. Uh, it will really hit home when if it becomes an Olympic sport. That will really become something. Well, Until that'll then, take years, but uh, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. No, we're going to see that. As far as the growth of the MLS since we started, yeah. You know, it has become a bigger and better league. And the funny thing, since I started talking to you guys almost 10 years ago, has yeah. been how they have figured out where MLS fits. When we started talking about 10 years ago, it was, oh, we're going to get the biggest name European players. We're going to get the Beckhams. We're going to get the um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic's. We're going to get them over, and that's going to be what the league is. What I've seen since then is, um, and Roger uh, Atlanta United has been a big one in this respect, um, we're going to go and we're going to find some young talent from South and Central America. We're going to bring them in and we're going to introduce you to them before they get great and we'll sell them and make a profit. And then you have teams like the Union where we're going to get kids and we're going to develop them and we're going to make them great like uh, Brendan Aronson, who was on the U.S. men's team for the World Cup. And then we'll sell them on, but you'll know us because we originated it. Oh, and by the way, we're going to put this stipulation in any clause that he signs for any transfer. We're going to make 5% of that. So... Mm. The union will collect a little bit of money on all the moves that Brendan Aronson makes. So, one, two, five percent, you know, they're going to get some money off that, which they can use to invest in new players. So, I love what the U.S., uh, what the MLS has become. We understand, like, it's not going to be the Premier League. It's not going to be La Liga. It's not going to be League uh, 1 in France. But what we are going to see is domestic players, our hometown teams, that we can all get behind. And we're going to see some of the players that could be future national team players for the U.S., for Jamaica, for Guatemala, for El Salvador, for Canada, and guys that when we get to the next World Cup, these are names that we're going to know. Well, Mike, that's why Arthur Blank is so smart uh, where he built the the United Complex. It's in uh, more of an area that's Latino. So, uh, you know, you're there with the folks, you know, with the fandom, uh, you know, where, whereas in the 
you probably had the ground. He could do it in Flowery Branch. But this is well on the other side of Atlanta, and uh, it, it, I think it really is one of the factors in, in drawing uh, uh, the uh, Latin American, South American events uh, to the state. It, it, it's beyond that for Atlanta. Um, you would not have turnout for teams for, for Atlanta United if you just marketed to the Latin American crowd at Atlanta. He's been able to put not only a team that gets young South American players that gets that element together, but just young American players. Um, what Arthur Blank has done uh, in a lot of respects, has been great, and it has transformed how a lot of MLS teams look at team building. Oh, Mike, I think a couple of things that we got to jump. Doug's ready to go. Uh, we'll tell you this: that the uh, Panthers right now lead two to one over the Bruins, uh, and they're going into the third period. And uh, right now, your Washington team tied up with the Mets at two-two. So you probably have more information on that being in Washington than we do. But uh, the other thing is that I think when we talked about the flag football is that I think it's also going to give the colleges more opportunity to split Title IX money. They're always looking for avenues to bring more women into athletics to utilize the Title IX uh, disparity between the money that the men get and the money that the women get. So I think this is going to be another opportunity for the universities to give out scholarships for flag football for the women. So that's only my opinion. We'll see what happens. Mike, thank no, you right, very Tom. much for another interesting night. Have a great well, week, well, Mike. I do want to ask Doug one question. Go ahead. Well, I know I can talk to him. Um, Doug, what yeah. do you think that the Ravens are going to do tomorrow night in the draft? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've heard, well, I've heard conflicting information, and I don't know whether it's, you know, dum-dums in the media that, that want to try to create a story, but there, there was one today that said that if Bijan Robinson starts to tumble a little bit, that the Ravens are inclined to move up the board to get him. Um, in, in my heart of hearts, what I can tell you is that Eric DaCosta is frothing at the mouth because he only has five draft picks. So I'm guessing if he can find a trade partner for 22, he's going to move back from 22 to, you know, early 30s, pick up another second rounder and maybe something else and try to create some value in that top of second, middle second, third round, you know, area. Um, yeah, I don't really forecast the Ravens making a splash move, but, you know, they signed Odell Beckham. They've, they, they, you know, they traded for Roquan Smith. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm, but they typically like to have a lot of draft capital on draft night, and they typically have a lot of compensatory. I mean, they had, I think, six fourth-rounders last year. They only have five total picks yeah. this year. So, so my guess is he moves backwards. Uh, Doug, one last – one other one. Um, the Odell Beckham move, the Roquan Smith move, they tell me we're trying to make – uh, Lamar feel comfortable. <laughs> Is there any chance um, that there's any movement with Lamar? Yeah. Well, at I any think point that, um, in, in the next couple of days. I, well, I, I think 
collectively, uh, Ravens fans will breathe a sigh of relief once we get past, I think, the fourth pick tomorrow, um, you know, because the Colts were one of those kind of iffies on, you know, do we want to try to do something with Lamar or not? Um, you know, the Odell Beckham, you know, they say that Lamar recruited him. You know, clearly they're trying to build a better receiver room. They're trying to build a better team for him. They signed his, I think, was it his cousin, Trayvon Mullen, or whatever his name is. Um, you know, I think they're doing what they can to keep him. Now, the word here is, uh, you know, Josina Anderson, I think, is Lamar's best buddy. Apparently they, they, they have conversations or whatever. But it kind of sounds to me like once we get past tomorrow that, I think some version of deal is imminent with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Now, my guess is at 26 years old, the Ravens are going to basically say, here's a three-year, whatever, $150 million, a fully guaranteed deal, and they'll do something like that. I think it's going to be less than what he wants, and I think it's it's only going to be for two or three years, maybe four, I don't know. But I think they're going to guarantee – my guess is they guarantee him three full years. And last question for you, Doug. Um me and my wife want to go out for dinner with y'all again, so shout me a holler, and let's get that to happen. Love you, brother. Well, Talk to you later. You got it. Thank you. Okay. Take Have care, Mike. Thank week. you very much. And uh, Devils and Rangers now tied. Uh, they'll play tomorrow night, tied at 2-2, so that's going to be a very uh, interesting playoff series of the National Hockey League, uh, almost an intercity rivalry, I'll tell you this, with the Islanders, the Rangers and the Devils all getting into the playoffs, uh, quite, a, uh, quite a tribute to the New York area. Doug, uh, let's get back to Allen. And, uh, it, we talk about your Baltimore Orioles. They lost a tough one last night, but they got one under their, under their wing tonight. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the, the Tampa Bay Rays are, are playing some really good baseball right out of the chute. And, uh, you know, the Orioles haven't matched them quite step for step, but they're – about what four or so games behind him in in the uh, win loss yeah. column, and and they you know, lost think, tonight one nothing, a real tough game tonight. They lost uh, to Houston. Well, I mean, Tampa, but Tampa has some some really solid pitching. Obviously, they've they've hit a lot of home runs as well. Um, you know, Baltimore's played some pretty scrappy, you know, baseball, and I think that the second half of last year, I mean, they they seemingly are never really out of a game. Uh, Even last night when they lost, it was 8-1 going into the ninth, and they find five runs there with a grand slam and a solo home run by Connor Henderson. So, um, you know, I was just watching the replay. I missed the game today, but I was watching the replay of it. And, you know, they are just a a pretty solid team. They're pretty scrappy. I mean, Tyler Wells has pitched well um, in spurts. They're pitching. And I was just having this discussion with my wife like you know uh michael gibbons and dylan tate are, are two big pieces of their bullpen that have been injured and, and haven't had a chance to i mean they're kind of starting some rehab assignments and when they come back well what will that look like in the bullpen i mean who has to who has to go down or who has to be released um you know looking at their offense uh, there's a lot of players that have struggled and one of them's Connor henderson um you know he plays an integral part i mean adam frazier has played well in spurts, but he's, I mean, he's only hitting like 200s. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of Taron Vavra. Um, I think he's taking at bats, taking away at bats from, you know, somebody who's in the minor leagues, who's probably ready. Um, I'm not going to put it past the Orioles as we continue to, to march towards, um, the, the all-star break or even thereafter before the trade deadline to make 
some kind of a big move with getting a frontline starting pitcher. I think they're they're just one or two players really away. I mean, John Means coming back from Tommy John is is going to be a help. Um, they're starting pitching. I mean, I don't. There's too many people for not enough spots is kind of how I see it. So I feel like at some point in time they're going to have to reduce those numbers and clean that up by, by trading a couple players for someone of relevance to uh, potentially put them over the over the heap here. Um, you know, so it seems like watching them play on any given night, you've got two or three players that play really well, one or two that play okay offensively, and that seems to carry them because you look at some of their averages and they're – low 200s, mid 200s, and, um, you know, they just find a way to score runs. So I, I don't – hopefully they can sustain that. Um, you know, CNL Perez had a great year last year. He hasn't looked very good. And it's very easy when you watch – when I watch the games to see what Brandon Hyde thinks of, of the guys that he brings in, particularly in those leverage situations and how that slipped uh, to, the, to the guys he trusts versus maybe that was different last year. Um, so it's, it's really fun for me to watch them. I watch – every game I can, um, which is mostly every night at some point. So it's it's good stuff for me. Roger? Well, Doug, they're going to be in Atlanta uh, next week for a series, and yeah. I think that'll be a good uh, telling tale uh, sure. on exactly, you know, how good they are. Well, that's that's been the knock if you listen to, we'll say it in the non-Baltimore area about the Orioles. You know, they say, well, you know, they took a series from – Detroit, they they swept a two-game series with the Nats. They took the series from the A's. You know, these are all not very good teams that they're beating. So, so really, who are they? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's like saying that Gonzaga stinks because they beat up on all the teams in their division. Well, that's what they were supposed to do, right? So, you know, to your point, I think Atlanta's a quality baseball team, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they fare against um, – some pretty good pitching and a little bit better caliber of, of baseball. Um, Doug, they said the exact you know, same that, thing about the Rays. You know, the Rays played all the yeah. lesser teams. That's how they got off the 13 to nothing start. And, uh, sure. and uh, what, 15 out of uh, 17 at, at home. And they're uh, still winning. They still, you got to win. Right. You got to, Larry Bob was all of the well, students I mean, ago, as he said. The Phillies went out to Colorado. They lost the first game right out of the chute. They did come back and win the next ones, but they lost it. They lost the first one. And as he said, you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and that's exactly that's what the Orioles are doing. Yeah, and and, and as you mentioned, uh, Don, you know the the difference in the schedule from last year to this year regarding the teams that you play within division has significantly decreased. Absolutely. You know, so they've already played they've already played uh, six games with uh, the Red split three to three. Um, so you know, I mean, you start looking outside of their division and other teams. I mean, who? Who would have this well? Who would have thought that the Arizona Diamondbacks, who were god awful horrific last year, who, I mean the Orioles um, in the AL East, I think if you look at all the other divisions, would likely be in first place in like all of them but one, their own in another one. So, you know, I mean, time will tell with how the season plays out. You know, in terms of the consistency of their bullpen, the consistency of their starting pitching, the, the consistency of their hitting injuries. Um, whether they decide to bring up some of their young players and give them a shot at it. Uh, so there's there's a lot to be played on Diamond, and we'll see what happens uh, come, you know, game 162. Roger? Well, that, uh, you're exactly right. And uh, the, the, do you think uh, they, when you talk about starting pitching, but they've got a, a too many players, 
uh, and mm-hmm. not enough spots. Is it too many pitchers that they have, in your opinion, or not? Well, from a yes, and I'll tell you, um, you know, I think Grayson's here to stay. Um, you know, Kyle Gibson's four and zero. I just watched Tyler Wells pitch. He he's thrown great this year. His ERA is under three. Uh, so there's there's three pieces of your five, and then right now you've got Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish who are basically the flip of a coin as to when they go out, are they going to pitch well or are they not? My question is, how long is it going to take John Means to get ready after his, you know, cleared and then rehab assignments? And when he comes back, is he on a pitch count? Do they send somebody else down um, the bullpen? As I mentioned, you've got Dylan Tate, uh, who was – one of Brandon Hyde's favorites last year, and then they went out and signed Michael Gibbons, former Oriole, who went away and now has come back. You know, so I think Austin both um, played a pretty good role for them last year as a swing man. I think he's the man out there, um, in addition to maybe one other person uh, in that bullpen. So I mean, you know, they've, and they've I mean, look, they're stretching DL Hole out at AAA. They, you know, he's a top prospect. They want him to obviously uh, continue. You know, his uh, growth as a pitcher, as a starter. They traded for Cole Irvin, who they sent down to AAA, who we'd like to think would, would play an integral role moving forward, um, you know, as, as somebody that, that they actually traded for that they was thought was going to anchor their rotation. Uh, so there's three more guys in, in Means, Irvin, and D.L. Hall that could play a role in their starting pitching. So who's who's coming, who's, who's going? You know, yeah. I guess it's a good problem to have, uh, but they'll have to, you know, solidify that. Well, you know, I did mention at the top of the show our PGA professional, Doug, Doug Hamilton. Uh, we talked f- football, we talked baseball, but uh, we don't talk golf much right now. But uh, <laughs> I, was, I brought up in the last segment to Mike, and uh, I was a little surprised. The uh, conference championships, Bennett, who played so well in the Masters, the young man who was mm-hmm. in the top ten for right until the fourth day, uh, finished yep. 16th overall. And uh, in mm-hmm. the conference championship, uh, if you can believe it, finished 16th against his amateur competition uh, <laughs> playing at, uh, at at Tennessee. So you never can tell, can you? Well, I mean, look, golf is such a pure sport because it's you against you, it's you against the golf course. Um, you know, we've talked about um, how much competition there is on a week-in, week-out basis uh, with guys that might be playing well or seemingly put you know, three or four good rounds together to, you know, shoot up the leaderboard. So um, it, it's hard to predict, you know, it's kind of like, you know, obviously you guys have paid attention to, to horse racing over the course of time and, you know, you get all the horses in the gate and they give you the odds and I'll be damned if sometimes somebody wins that's not supposed to, right? So um, it just happens that way. And, you know, that was great for that young man to, to put together such a great tournament. I'm sure he'll have some incredible memories, you know, for the rest of his life. Absolutely. Uh, based on how he performed there. And um, that's a wonderful story. Um, but, you know, those, like I said, I mean, the other horses that get to the gate don't care if you're the odds-on favorite. They're they're just going to go, right? So, you know, <laughs> the, the rest of those guys playing golf are, are there to, to play and compete and win and, and – um, you know, I think that's good news for the sport of golf in general um, in terms of how healthy it is at, at all levels where you have all these, um, you know, different co- competitions uh, that you see so many good young players. And, you know, we see it all the way up through the tour. And, and you know, now you have a secondary tour with, with Live Golf that, that has some really reputable players, obviously, that are doing very well. And, and that's that's good for the health of the game. I mean, it's such a growing sport, probably not quite, quite as much as like pickleball or something like that right now, but... 
um, you know, everybody's playing it. You know, everybody's playing it. Well, you Good and I have talked over the years, football, I think, uh, from my standpoint, that uh, uh, of all sports that I've ever followed, I think in golf right now, the, the competition, uh, you can go down 200 down the list, and they still would have a chance to win a Masters, uh, not a Masters necessarily, but they still would have sure. a chance to win a tournament, a PGA tournament, any weekend. I mean, it, there's, there's just so well, many great players. Roger, you're up. Well, I, I was wondering, I mean, that's amazing if, uh, you know, with all the great golfers that we've seen in the past uh, as a uh, group, and then uh, for you you fellows to feel that way, um, I, mm-hmm. I did want to get back to Doug uh, just for a second on uh, baseball. Uh, you said mm-hmm. that Kyle Gibson is 4-0, and mm-hmm. uh, well, the Phillies could have kept him, Number one, they mm-hmm. could have kept Zach Eflin. Uh, I forget how yep. he's doing. And then they uh, kept Bailey Falter, and Bailey mm-hmm. Falter is 0 and 4. Okay, yep. and has all kinds of trouble uh, the uh, with uh, not having home runs hit against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Phillies did just tie up the uh, game with the Mariners, and they still have two on with nobody out in the bottom of the eighth. So there's some hope. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing I see about the Orioles is they seem to be very consistent. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, up one night, down the other, vice versa. They just mm-hmm. uh, they have a good record, obviously. But they yeah. are very consistent, and they drive in runs. The Phillies are not yeah. driving in runs. Uh, am I right about that with the O's? Yeah, we we were talking about that sitting here on the couch, um, you know, looking at a, a player like Ramon Urias who, you know, he's hitting, I don't know what he's hitting, somewhere between 200 and 250, whatever he's hitting. But seemingly he's come up with some very big hits with men on base and that clutch effect that they have, you know, to drive in runs with two outs or to somebody come up and get the big hit or somebody that has a really tough at-bat that fights off pitches that gets a walk and then steals second and then, you know, goes to third on a ground ball or whatever. They seemingly just figure a way that they're really never out of the game. And, you know, uh, Roger, to your point, you know, with, with the Kyle Gibson, you know, I, there's a part of me that the nerd part of me that likes this whole analytics, you know, BS about baseball and sports in general. But then, you know, the other part of me says, man, just, you know, just go for it or don't go for it. Like, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me what to do or percentages or, you know, all that kind of crap. So a guy like Kyle Gibson, you know, has historically pitched well at Camden Yards and he's a sinker ball pitcher. And, you know, the Orioles probably did some version of analytical voodoo or whatever to figure out like, all right, look, man, he's worth, 10 mil or whatever he's worth to see if we can come in here and he can throw some ground balls and keep the ball in the yard. And, you know, for right now, I mean, it looks like it's a good deal. You know, I mean, look at, you know, we, we, we probably all either read the book or seen the movie of Moneyball and how much of a, you know, mess that team was when, when Billy Bean was putting that together and, and, you know, they, they did well, you know? So, I mean, where does it all stop with, you know, who, who do we go sign or who do we go draft or who do we go promote or, you know, from the minor leagues or all, all these different things. And there's some nerd behind a computer that's running some algorithm that says, oh, yeah, man, call this guy up. It's a Tuesday and it's, you know, the ambient temperature is this. Like, he's going to get three hits. So I, I don't know how that works, but, you know, that's what it is. Well, I think the Rays are sort of a perfect example of that. They, for years, uh, you know, worked on pitching uh, and defense, I uh, did not score many runs. It's unusual. They had a lot of home runs this year, but 
Right. They do the, exactly the same thing you're talking about that Baltimore does. They, when they get a guy on base, they get him around and they get him in. And uh, yeah. that's their but formula the, to win. Pitching. Look at the pitching, Don, of the Tampa Bay Rays, like the guys that they've developed. Either they've been cast-offs or free agents or people that shouldn't be there or people right. that they drafted that they said, why did you draft him? That they, You know, the Orioles were talking about the guy they got from Minnesota in the, in the Jorge Lopez trade, Yanir Cano or whatever that guy's name, and that he hasn't even given up a run yet this year. Right. And they said right. that what they did was they changed his posture when he throws the ball, which allows the ball to sink more. And I'll be damned, he, that guy's throwing like 95 with like – Movement. I mean, you know, that's the really cool part for me. Like when you Their give a guy a golf done lesson, a great job. You're right. Yeah, yeah that that's give, a great give a pitching guy a golf coach. Is right. Sure. You Bruins just scored again. It's two two now. It's the Bruins are tied with the Panthers. Yeah, Phillies are yeah. up six five. Go ahead, Doug. No, I, Doug, to your point, and Don's right, yeah. and they, that is a great pitching coach job. Sure. But look at the hitting coaches. It's the same thing. I mean, they, they take videos of guys that hit, then they watch them frame by frame and say, you know, you're doing this or your left foot's doing this or if we changed our grip or if we held the bat higher or if we did this, you know, you could keep the barrel flatter longer through the – you know, Austin Hayes did that in the off season and, and it's paid its dividends already thus far. I mean, you know, pitching's the same way. When you start looking at the mechanics of people and – when their foot hits and how they hold the ball and can we do this and my arm angle and my shoulder and my glove and all these different things. I mean, to me, that's, that's the really, really cool part about making a really good chocolate chip cookie that comes out of the oven that you would just want to eat like 10 of, you know what I mean? But, uh, that's yeah. a great comparison to your sport. I mean, when you, yeah. when you take somebody, uh, you, you don't make major changes. You make changes that you think that the, the person you're teaching can understand and compensate. Sure. Well, and that's part of my philosophy in, in teaching golf is I do a couple things that I have you walk through um, kind of to analyze how you hold the club and how your arms move. And my theory is your body wants to move in a certain way, and I want you to show me how that is because I want to unlock that so you can continually do it because my guess is that do, you're doing something in your swing that prevents that. And if I can unlock that, then you're going to play better. So that's the cool part. And that's basically the same thing you're talking about with pitching and catching and, and hitting. Yes, yes, 100%. That's what those guys do. That's Rob, what you those know guys what's sad? To do. You're, you're, you guys are exactly right. And what's really sad, I look at Scott Kingry's uh, stats at Lehigh Valley every day. I mean, he's still, you know, getting paid by the Florida just went up 3-2, boys. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I look at how they ruin that kid, you know, not only playing him at all those positions, but that's mm-hmm. when uh, Kabler was the uh, manager mm. to go hit, try to hit home runs. And they, unfortunately, mm. well, a couple of guys came back, but that poor young man was ruined. Roger, that's the change that, that you'll see prevalent in baseball is now they talk about, um, exit velocity, they talk about launch angle, and they talk about these metrics that are more relative to golf, I think, than baseball. But, you know, everybody now is wanting to hit up on the ball so they can hit home runs as opposed to keeping the bat in the zone, you know, barreled longer so that they can drive the ball in the gaps. 
and potentially still hit home runs. But we used to create backspin by hitting down on the ball. Now they create it by hitting up on the ball, yet they leave this huge gaping hole somewhere in the strike zone, which leads to a lot more strikeouts. Well, boys, we're going to have to hold it right there. Our commander-in-chief, Frank Carroll, tells us our time is up. Once again, thank you very much, Doug. We'll talk with you next week. Yes. Thanks to all our have guests. We'll all talk about the draft next week and how everybody made out. Frank, yeah, take right, it over. Take okay. care. Have a great week. Thanks, Frank. Take care as always. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces men and women police fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge and let them know you know they're there. Very important to those in uniform now. Not everybody out there in uniform is a bad guy. This program is dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hamilton. Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlie County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Charlie Town at Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris Levate, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman and Officer Christman, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikes, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pine Ellis County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Meyer, uh, Polk County Sheriff's Department and Sergeant uh, Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department and the Temple uh, University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. At the time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields, the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shem Alek Ma'ilama Shem Ma'ezahilma Son Hashem Vorazfet Hakuig Ged Ma'ilama Cheers.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.